about Easter morning. And uh, the teacher asked the class uh, on Palm Sunday, what will you be doing this week, this Holy Week, for Easter Sunday? And immediately a young girl shouted out, we're going to kill eggs. She said, you're going to what? said, we're going to kill eggs. What do you mean you're going to kill eggs? He said, well, my mom said that if we were good this week, we'd get to die eggs this week. <laughs> Be careful on how kids interpret things, you know. Uh, they're always exciting, always new ways and new things to be told us. This is Palm Sunday. This is a great Sunday and the life of the church, and in the life of the ministry of Jesus. It was a difficult ministry at this time, if you think about it, of the years that he had spent, three and a half years of ministry up and down the face of the earth of where he was at, healing and helping and helping people. But he was coming now to the end of his ministry. And you find in the Mark chapter, in chapter number 11, it talks about the the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, says, And they approached Jerusalem and came to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of His disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied. And no one will ever, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and He send him back shortly. They went and they found the colt outside of the street, tied to doorway. And they untied it, and some of them standing there asked, What are you doing, untying this colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them. The people then let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others tore branches and were cut from the fields. And these went ahead of those following, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We need to be shouting as a church today, Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to get a vision of what was taking place that day. It was exciting for the people. It was exciting for the followers of Jesus. But I'm not so sure how exciting it was for him. Because as I begin to read this story and think about it, Jesus and his twelve disciples were overlooking the beautiful city of Jerusalem from where they stood. And from where they stood, Jerusalem could be seen for many miles, many, many miles. If you've ever been in that part of the country, and I have been, when you stand there, you can see as far as the eyes will go, you can see the the cities and the valleys and, and the hillsides. And so they were standing on that hillside that day and looking in every direction. The city seemed to be peaceful at a distance. But Jesus realized that the end of His ministry was coming. And I begin to think about that. You know, I I have a feeling somewhat of what Jesus was feeling even here today. Because after 15 months of knowing that new leadership is coming, excitement is there. Knowing that Josh and his family will be here serving in this church. And yet there's a time for us to begin to think, we're going to walk away. We're going to feel that this is the end of ministry here in this area. 
And so I know a little bit about what Jesus was talking about. Jesus then told His disciples, the hour has come. The hour has come. And Jesus told His followers, He instructed them to take two of those disciples to go to a nearby village. And He said, now when you go there, you're going to find a colt that has never been written on. Now I'm sure that as they went, they believed what Jesus had said because they had been following Him. Everything He said had come true. But I'm sure also that when they walked into the end of that town, the first thing they saw tied to a doorpost was a colt that had never been ridden. I'm sure they begin to say to themselves, man, I mean, this is, this is a miraculous. This is wonderful. Here we are in this city, just as he said. And right as he said, someone said, why? Wait, wait a minute now. Why are you untying that colt? And they said, because the Lord Jesus has need of it. He'll return it. And so you know what? The Bible says they didn't ask any more questions. Again, another amazement. No questions about it. You know, if that had been us, we'd have questioned. We probably would have wanted to sign a lease. We probably wanted a down payment or a deposit. But Jesus didn't ask for any of that. And those people knew that Jesus had need of it, and so they weren't asking either. But notice when the assurance of the disciples, when they found that, do you imagine the surprise and the joy as they found that coat just as Jesus had said? And sure enough, as they were walking away, someone asked that question. But notice, first of all, I want you to notice the high hopes that accompanied Jesus that day in that city. The hopes of His followers, the hopes of those that had believed. No sooner had the two disciples returned with that colt, and they throwed the cloaks over Him and set Jesus on it. The excitement began to roar. I want to tell you something. The mood of celebration was everywhere. Because, you see, these folks were believing that Jesus was going to do something that was totally different than any of His other ministry. They thought for sure as they began to sing. They spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut down leafy branches and placed them in the road. They were singing. They were shouting. The people were ready for a change. They said now. They were looking at one that was going to... They literally thought Jesus was going to ride to Jerusalem and set up a kingdom. They literally believed that He was going to tear down the government of the day and He was going to raise up a new government. A government which upon they were excited about being a part of. They were so excited that day. They wanted someone to lead them to a better life. They had high hopes that Jesus was that someone. And there was an appeal to the people uh, that, that had those high hopes. There was, there was something about them that was different. The love of the, they loved this thing, idea of Jesus going to set up something that was great and powerful and mighty. Kind of reminds me of the little boy, six years old, who had an idea, who had a dream, who had been gifted with, with the, the, the natural ability of being able to see a world that was filled with sin and anger and, and disappointment. And this little boy decided that he had this thought in his mind, if I could just change the world. This little boy had been a neighbor who, who was living next door, chatted back and forth all the time. He was a businessman, and so the young man began to understand some of what business was about. So he went to his neighbor one morning, and he said, I had a dream, something I want to do. He said, could you loan me $500? As a six-year-old boy. Little Tom, he said, could you, could you loan me? Five? He said, I, I could loan it to you, but you'd have, 
You realize, Tommy, you'd have to pay me back. He said, I understand that. Well, what do you need $500 for? He said, because I want to I wanna have a thousand bumper stickers made, and it's going to cost me $500. Well, what are you going to have on the bumper stickers? And little Tommy said, well, I'd like to put on there, peace, please. Do it for us kids, signed Tommy. Well, the neighbor said, well, it sounds pretty good. So I'll loan you the $500. He knew that Tommy's dad would have to pay it back if he didn't. And so he did. And so he was sent off and he got the bumper stickers. And in the process of getting those bumper stickers, Tommy had listened to some of the tapes on learning how to be a great salesman. On one of those tapes it said, if you want to be a great salesman, don't start at the bottom, start at the top. And so Tommy listened to that tape and it said start at the top and so he did. When he got the stickers and he got his, his peel of what he was going to say when he was going to try to sell them for $2.50 a piece to people and have them put them on the back of their cars, Tommy said they're going to start at the top. So he said to his dad, he said, Dad, he said next weekend could we, could we go to the former president's house? It was Ronald Reagan. Sure enough, his dad said, okay, we'll go if that's what you want to do, if you're insistent on it. And so they went to the house, and when they got to the gate, the gatekeeper, as he rung the bell, the gatekeeper came, and Tommy gave an irresistible three-minute speech on what he wanted to do with these bumper stickers. And a fellow reached in his pocket and said, let me, I want to buy the first one, $2.50. He paid him for it. He said, he handed it to him. He said, now I'll get the president for you. And so he got to the president, and the president bought... More than two or three of them. And the president thought it was such a remarkable thing coming from a young boy, six years of old, who wanted to see world peace. He was excited about it. And so Tommy, in a little while, you know, they, they, after selling to the president, the former president, Ronald Reagan, later the Orange County News come out with a story. They wanted to interview Tommy. And so they began, as the reporter talked to Tommy, he said, he asked him, he said, what, what he thought the impact would be on the world peace with him selling his, his, uh, his little stickers for the back of the cars. Tommy said, well, I don't think I'm old enough yet to say I'd have total peace in the world. I mean, you'd have to be at least maybe nine or twelve. You see, Tommy had confidence. He believed in what he was doing. And so as he began, Tommy said, I, 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 I want to do this. As a result, the newspaper article, he appeared on national television. And I begin to think about little Tommy Teal. Tommy, you know, I believe that God had a special love for people like Tommy. You see, people who believed, people who were believers. These people that Jesus sent out that day to get the call, they were believers. They believe what he said. People who have high hopes long to see the world better place to live. That's why people were accompanied to Jesus that day in the, on that Palm Sunday. They had high hopes. They had high hopes that there would be a kingdom set up and that Jesus would become a ruler and they would be the first ones to be around him so much to be a part of that great company. They had high hopes. The problem was their high hopes were short-sighted. They were a little bit short-sighted. You see, they could see the world from God. They couldn't see the world from God's perspective. They couldn't see the world. These followers didn't see. God had a greater plan, a grander plan than they even imagined. 
They thought He was going to set up a kingdom. They thought He was going to do away with the government of the day. But God had something else in store. And when the people around the road saw Jesus riding that that colt approaching Jerusalem, they immediately thought Jesus was going to enter the city and defiantly smash that government to pieces. They thought He was going to dethrone everybody. They thought it would be a, a showdown between Jesus and the Roman officials. And this was what they wanted and this was what they were hoping for. And they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. And it rang everywhere. It was shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna could have been translated in that day, Save us now! The people were geared up and ready. Jesus was in action. The action just the opposite of what they were expecting though. He was going to reign in a different way. He was riding a colt symbolizing peace. The colt was that of peace, but you know, not a horse symbolizing conquering. Jesus approached Jerusalem in a peaceful, humble servant, not a mighty warrior king. The people there were preoccupied with the political and the economic power. They thought about all of those things, but they were blind to the fact what God was doing in place of all of that. He wasn't interested in the powers. Today we are so blind in this world, we keep thinking we'll elect somebody or someone or some government or somewhere along the line. Somebody will come along and straighten out all this mess. Let me tell you something. It will never be straightened out until we come to the place to where we believe what God wants us to do and live like God wants us to do. That's exactly what was happening here. God was at work, but not in the way that they could see Him. That, 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 that's something that we must remember. You see, God was at work. God is at work even when we're not aware of it. God is at work even when we're not aware of it. I mean, I see so many times things that are happening, and I have an idea on how it ought to be done, but it seems like it's not going in that direction. It seems like God's moving in a different direction. And sometimes I get discouraged. But if I wait it out and I believe God long enough, I find out that God had a different purpose in it. God works even when we can't see it. Don't lose faith. God is at work even when we're not aware of it. The people of the first song on that Palm Sunday were looking for a conquering king. And I want to tell you something. Jesus appreciated those people and their high hopes. But He knew that the hopes were short-sighted. God had a definite plan, a plan to change the world forever, which, which brings me to another point. You see, God had a plan to change the world in a different way. You see, it's easy to shout. Did <laughs> you ever notice that? It's easy to get in a group and shout. It's easy, my friend, to shout Hosanna. It's easy to get on the bandwagon when there's a parade going on. But my friend, it's harder to serve. Think about it. You know, Jesus was saying, I- I'll appreciate you shouting. I appreciate your honoring me. But I'm here to tell you that I've trained you and I'm going to move on. My time is at end. It's time now for you to pick up the reins and you begin to serve. You begin to do. That's the reason why Jesus said, greater things than I have done, you shall do because I go to my Father. You know why? Because what Jesus was doing one-handed, one man, one place, one at a time, now He has a kingdom of believers that can do it in, in their place and we can do double and triple and quadruple the amount of ministry that He did. But you know, we've got to have that belief. We've got to trust Him. I'm sure you've seen bumper stickers. 
<laughs> you know, for years, people used to tease me about bumper stickers. I never liked bumper stickers on my car. I never wanted to wear them. You know, I had a state trooper in one of my churches, and, and uh, we were talking one day about how do, how do you know when you're going up and down the interstate and you see these people and you pull them over? How do you know they're drug dealers? How do you know that they're doing things that's wrong? He said most of them are covered with all kind of Christian bumper stickers and stickers in their windows, and, and they try to camouflage by saying they're Christian. He said usually those are the people we pull over because we want to check them out. Because you see, a lot of times we do that. Well, there's a bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus. You ever see that bumper sticker? I've seen a lot of people, you know, got that on the back of their car. Honk if you love Jesus. There's another one that followed up that I liked even better. It said, Tithe if you love Jesus. Everybody can honk. <laughs> you know what? I, I agree with that. You know, that, that's the fact that Jesus is saying you can shout, but there's a difference when it comes to serving, when it comes to giving, when it comes to putting your life on the line. There's a whole lot of difference. You see, everybody loves a parade. Everybody wants to get excited. Sometimes we get uh, caught up in the excitement of the moment. You ever notice that? We really do. We get excited in the moment. We, we're filled with enthusiasm and a burst of fresh energy, particularly in some kind of ministry. Now, let me tell you something. It's exciting around here because there's a new family coming on the block. There's a new family that's going to be here. There's going to be a new preacher in this pulpit. And you're going to get excited. You're going to be excited and enthusiastic. But let me tell you something. Don't let it wear off in a month. Continue to support. Continue to be there. Because you see, He cannot do it by Himself. He's here to be a leader. He's here to be the lead. You are to become the followers. And you'll see great ministry come. But you know, sometimes I see that in the church. Unfortunately, our enthusiasm fades and we lose interest. And it is, and the thing was great while it lasted, but now it's gone. It's easy to shout, but it's hard to serve. Let me, let me just tell you. I mean, I looked at the bulletin this morning and I thought, how can I apply that? You see, it's exciting to know we have Harbor of Hope. We're feeding people all around this county. But how many workers do we have on Thursday? Oh, uh-huh. it's easy to shout. It's easy to say, oh, our church is one. We house the harbor. of We're feeding people all around the county. But where are you in helping pack the boxes? Where are you in helping to deliver? Where are you in helping to bring it in? You see, it's easy to talk about it, but it's another thing to give. I thought about it even more, you know. I, you know, I thought about uh, that church work that you had on the calendar. You know, a lot of people, oh, we got the most beautiful facility. We got all this acreage and it looks so nice and the flowers and the trees and everything's always manicured or looks so wonderful. And with what, four or five people out of 140? Where are you? It's easy to shout. It's easy to proclaim, but it's harder to serve, my friend. But you know what? Serving is the greatest reward you could have. Oh, I thought about, you know what? Somebody mentioned last week, I mentioned about something we, you might want to do around here. I, I, I'll tell the others a few things before I leave. But you know that I see some lack. But you know what? You know what I think? I think it's easy. You know what? We, we've got a great church and, and we've got people. You realize that the most important thing, when I became a Christian, one of the first jobs I had in the church was ushering. Brother, let me tell you something. When they said, oh my, that's God. Oh, I don't know if I can do that or not. 
And they, they assured me that I could do it. They assured me, you can handle it. And you know what? When I became an usher, the first thing I did, let me tell you something, they said, you're going to go down the center aisle. You're feeling the call to preach. You're going to be a preacher. You ought to go down the center aisle. Because back then, you didn't have Louise up here praying for the offering. Back then, whoever come down the center aisle prayed for the offering. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what? It kind of shied a lot of guys away. But let me tell you something. God hears the prayer, no matter how simple, no matter how many words it is. It's not a long wind. It's a heartfelt thing. If you can't do nothing else in the church, my friend, then just say, thank the Lord for we've got a church with, that's doing well, that's giving well, that's going to provide well, that you need to say, I'd be willing to help carry that money to the back of the place. You're not a volunteer to usher. You shouldn't have to beg for ushers. There ought to be people saying, I'm excited to do that. That's a ministry. What about mowing the grass? I ain't got off my subject yet. I'm going back to it. But, but you know what? When you think about it, you've got, you got a sign-up sheet out there. Somebody told me last week, said, boy, a lot of grass to cut with three or four guys. i got news for you. I travel up and down. You know I have traveled almost 25,000 miles for this church. And when I travel, I notice something. And not just the Amish. I see these women out there on these mowers. So when you say guys cut the grass, <laughs> you know, it makes no difference. God's not impartial. Who cuts it? He don't care if it's a man or a woman. But you know what? We ought to have a team that's set up that there ought to be anybody. A church this size with the number of people that we have, nobody ought to cut more than once a month. There ought to be enough people sign up on that list. Say, you can count on me the first week of every month. You can count on me the, the second week. You can count on me the third week and the fourth week. And you know what? I believe that things would go beautiful and nobody would have to do it all. Nobody would have to sacrifice it all. You see, but it's easy to brag. It's easy to look and, and be feel good about being nice. But it's harder to serve. It might take you a Friday. It might take you a Saturday. I know you'd rather say ouch than amen. But it's truth. In the church, we need to realize that we, God, introduced a new ministry on Palm Sunday. He was saying, my hands are going to be gone and it's going to be in your hands. It's going to be you that's doing the work. And so that's what Jesus was preparing them for. They were looking for some big kingdom that they were going to set down in. But I'm going to tell you something, it don't work that way. You see, sometimes ministry can be hard. I had a church a number of years ago over in western Pennsylvania that had a little camp meeting up there. They wanted to know if I'd come and open that camp meeting up. And I'd, I'd scheduled. They'd waited for two and a half years for me to show up. And I got to think about it. You know, it was one of those times when it's bad to have somebody in their family that's a nurse. I had some difficulties, and my daughter, son-in-law, my wife, drugged me over the emergency room. I got over there, and they said, "Now you got his signs. All these signs are a stroke. You need, you need to go to Cle- hospital, Cleveland." So they took me up to Cleveland Hospital. I was there what two days, maybe. But you know what? It was right at the time I was supposed to do that camp meeting. And you know what? They got me out of there. People prayed from all over the country. And they prayed for me. I want to tell you something. I come out of there with a clean bill of health. But they still worried. 
Oh, Dad, you going to go over there and preach? It's 90 degree weather. It's hot in that campground over there. It's kind of a building kind of like Warsaw has. You know, they open the garage doors on the side. And I have to admit, it got a little hot. But you know what? They got me a, a room right behind that tabernacle. I'd lay on that bed and I'd listen to them sing. And about halfway through the service, I'd get up and get myself ready and I'd go over so I could preach for them. But you know what? When I got in that pulpit, I never felt an ounce of weakness. Because God knew that I had committed to serve. And God, when I obeyed Him, when I didn't cancel, when I said I'm going to go forth with it, let me tell you something, God honored that. I could tell you lots of people. I think of a fellow that for years that played the part. You know, when you have these passion plays, you know, it's not that you get new people every year, especially the lead. And I can remember the time when they were going to have a compassion play. Harold Walters was to play the part of Christ in the community production of the passion play. People from hundreds of miles would travel around every year to come to that passion play. It was so realistic. But you see, Harold had some health problems. Harold went to the doctor before the performance, a day or so before the performance was to begin. And he said, you know, my tuberculosis is kicked up and, and I'm having a little bit of problems. And, and he said to, to the doctor, do you think it'll be alright if I continue to play? It's only three nights. And the doctor checked him and said, you know, your tuberculosis is kicked up pretty bad. My suggestion is, is that you go home and you go to bed. You don't do nothing of that nature. You know tuberculosis can take your life. You could lose your life out there doing that play. And so the doctor said to him, he said, I think the best thing you can do, you need to take care of yourself. Don't take chances with tuberculosis. Go home, Harold. Go home and go to bed. Harold said when he heard that, he said, well, I can't believe this. What am I going to do? I'm stunned. And the doctor continued to say, Harold, you, you, you can't do it. You just can't do it, son. You've been doing it all these years. You just need to realize that you're going to lose your life if you keep doing this. Harold thought long and hard about the words of the doctor. Drove all the way home praying, God, what am I going to do? I, 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 what am I going to do if I'm unable to play this role? The passion play that we've been doing for years, people will travel. They've set aside their vacation time. They'll be traveling for hundreds of miles if we cancel that. What are we going to do? And finally, Harold said, I prayed. And I thought, oh God, what's happened to me? Haven't we all felt that? Times when you're committed to do something and you say, Lord, what's happening to me? Harold said, what's happening? Harold asked again and again. And he wondered if his illness was God's way of telling him that he shouldn't be in the play. And you know what? We do that all the time. Then he thought of the past year's performance. How many hours that he had lived as Christ had lived. How many hours that he was literally Christ. How that he was there. He said, I poured my whole being into that part. Harold said, I was tired. I, I tried to think. I tried to act like Jesus. And he asked himself, as he, should I listen to the doctor? What would you do, Jesus? Well, you know the answer. After much thought and prayer, he decided to perform against the doctor's orders. He decided that he was going to go through with it. Harold had a difficulty getting through the first night's performances because of the tuberculosis. 
In between his parts of speaking and his time of being out there, he had laid on a cot. And the people that were around him said, Harold, do you think we ought to just call it? Do you think we ought to just quit? He said, no. He said, I, I, I believe God's wanting me to do this. His lines took on new meaning, he said, when he came almost to the place where he was going to collapse. When he came to the scene where he cried out those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, I had to forget myself. I had to forget my pain. I had to forget my fears. Everything about me, I had to be Jesus. And he said, I went out there. He said, there was a a power, there was a strength that came into me. He said, my heart that was hurting quit hurting. My arms began to get strength. My legs got strength in them. He said, I went through that play realizing I was Jesus because He imported His power into me. And He made me to be able to go through that passion play. Thousands of people were excited and clapped and, and, and just praised that production. It was the best production they ever had, He said. And He went on the next year to sign up to become the lead again. You see, it's easy to shout, but it's hard to serve. Harold could have quit. He could have, and he could have justified it. What the people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem that day did not realize was that God was offering them an opportunity to join in doing a new thing. Do you ever know that? Isn't it exciting to be a part of something new? Rather than smashing the oppressed government of the day, God was beginning from the bottom to build a new people. A people that would worship differently. A people that would believe the Word differently. A people that now would begin to go and this army begin to grow in numbers one by one by one until today there's millions of us. You see, they became the Salvation Army. I'm not talking about a sign on a building downtown. I'm talking about an army of the Lord that has become an army because they have gotten saved and they're preaching salvation and they're seeing people get saved. You see, it's still growing today. It's still healing the wounded. It's still giving captives liberty. It's still being the people of bringing people out of darkness into light. This salvation army, my friend, is the church. The church, my friend, must take on the responsibility that Jesus has given to us. We must still be able to preach it. That's why we lift up our anthems and praise this day. That's why we still shout Hosanna in the highest. Christ is alive and He's still leading the church until the day of all oppression, of all sin is put under the blood of Jesus Christ. He's still wanting the church to become the people that He wants them to be. But you know what? He can't do it without people like you and me. God only has the voices of you and I. God only has the hands and the feet as people like you and I. You see, but I wonder today, it's easy to shout. What Christ needs is people that's willing to serve. Are you willing? Are you willing to be one? Oh, I hear people say all the time, well, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to do anything, but you know I'm not much. Don't, don't ask me to do this. Don't ask me to do that. I'm not much. But I'm going to tell you something. Little is much when God's in it. I thought about Tony Campello telling the story about being a counselor to a junior high youth camp. In fact, Campello says, 
Everybody ought to become a counselor at a, at a junior high youth camp. And the reason why, he says, is because, you know, when you counsel kids, junior high kids, he said, you're going to find out some things. He said, you know, the, the amazing thing was, he said, you know, for junior high, uh, one of the things that, that, that they want to do as kids, uh, they want to pick on one another at that age. Uh, they want to find somebody that they can pick on during the camp. They find one person, one girl, one boy, and they just want to pick at them. And this particular camp that Kapala was taking as a counselor, he said that every day, he said, these kids, there's seven of them in a group. And this particular group had a little boy, a young man, a young man that uh, had cerebral palsy. But he, but he loved the Lord. And he wanted to go to youth camp. As long as I can go, I want to go. So he went to youth camp, and of course, you know, when they pick up people going in the room, none of these other six boys wanted that boy in that room with cerebral palsy. I mean, after all, he's going to be a little problem. He's going to be a little slow all the time. We're always going to be behind. We're always going to have difficulty. But you know what? That little boy loved the Lord. And he, 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 he was probably only one in the whole room that really knew who Jesus was. He trusted Him. He believed in Him. And he said, the thing was, he said, as I watched him throughout the week, he said, one day, he said, this little fellow, he's all crippled up and he's hard to move and, and he's walking across and he, he stops and he asks from his friends, supposed to be his friends, he said, where, 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 can, I, where, where can I find the, 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 book, the bookstore? And they pointed and said, it's over there. And they mimicked him. They mimicked him exactly what he did. And they said, it's over there. It's over there, Johnny. It's over there, Johnny. He said, they begin to giggle and laugh. Paulo said, boy, the dander just begin to work on me. I had to pray, God help me to have the right attitude. But he said, these boys, he said, this was terrible. Here was a young man. Here was a young boy that loved Jesus, that wanted to be at a work camp. And, and, and he wanted to be at this youth camp. And he said, he's just simply asking a question and they're making a fool of them. He said, but then he said, I watched them through the week. I tried to correct some of it. But he said, you know, throughout the week of all the camps, of all the dorms, he said each one had to do a devotion one week, one day. On Thursday, it was these boys' time for doing devotions. And he said, I just knew what was going to happen. I just knew that they were going to choose this little fellow with cerebral palsy so they could make fun of him. He said, sure enough, they called and they said, who's going to be there? And they said, well... We, we've chosen in our group. We've chosen who we want in our group. He said, B Billy volunteered to do it. Billy's got cerebral palsy. And when it come time, they got finished with their singing like they do, and they called for the one to come forward. And, and as they did, uh, Billy got up, and, and, and it took him five minutes to get from the pew up to the platform the way that he was walking because of his cerebral palsy. In the meantime, you could hear all over that audience, you could hear these young kids giggling and laughing, and oh, it was the funniest thing. And they intended it to be that way. Then he got up and he said to that body, seven words. 
took him ten minutes to say seven words. The seven words was, Jesus loves Billy. Jesus loves Billy and, 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 and Billy, Billy, he began to weep. And Billy, Billy loves Jesus. Billy loves Jesus. Tony said, I begin to look over my shoulder and that whole crowd of young people that were giggling a few moments ago were weeping and crying. Weeping and crying. Because little Billy told how much he loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. He said, you know what? These youth camps have brought pro basketball players, pro baseball players, pro football players to try to get these kids to understand who Jesus was. And God chose a little boy with cerebral palsy, not a superstar. I tell you that story to say to you today that don't tell me there's nothing you can't do to serve Christ. Every person in this building has something to offer. You don't have cerebral palsy. You may not be the superstar. None of us are. But God's not looking for superstars. God's looking for men and women who are willing to give themselves wholly and completely unto Him and join the Salvation Army parade. Out there just parading and telling and being excited about the story. Today, I wonder, what excuse do you make? When you look around and you see something you need in your life? I tell you, I've run into it millions of times. In closing this morning, I'm going to, I, I tell you a story. I might have told it before, but it's alright, I'm going to tell it again. But I pastored in a church and church was doing well and after a few years, we added to the building, and pretty soon we we had a lot of young people, so we built a gymnasium on the side of the building, off the end of the building, and, and we had that gymnasium, and and you know had a large youth group of probably forty, fifty kids at that time. So we bought instead of hauling people around in vans and cars, we bought a bus. We painted that bus up, put our name on the side. We'd take kids to youth conventions, take them to roller skating, take them different places. We'd hit all them kids on that bus. One day I was sitting in my office. Heard a knock on the door. I opened the door and it was a truck driver. Jim said, you got a minute? And I said, sure do, come on in. Jim had gotten saved while I was here in that church. and so I want to hear what he had to say. He said, you know, I was out riding down the road in that 18-wheeler. And I got to thinking about the church. I thought about that beautiful gymnasium we've got. I thought about that bus we got sitting out there in a the lot that we only use once or twice a month. He said, I, I got to thinking 
I wonder if, if you ever thought about, I wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea if we would go out in a community now that we have the facility and bring some of these kids off of the street and we would have something during the week and take them into the gymnasium, let them play basketball, let them play volleyball, give them a little bit to eat, share with them a little bit about the Lord and take them, if we had to, make them meet on a corner and we'd bring them in in a bus. I said, I never thought of that, Jim. Wonderful idea. He said, what do you think you'll do? I said, not me. I believe God's laid that on your heart. I believe that's God spoke to you about that. I think you ought to obey God. Oh, not me. Not me. I'm a truck driver. I ain't got time to do stuff like that. I just preacher. I just thought it was a good idea. You see, it's easy to shout. It's easy to tell people what to do. But what about you serving? Jim never did get a part of that. You see, in fact, he, he kind of got a little bit of missing once in a while. He'd come in on the truck before. He'd be excited to get to church. Now he's kind of slay in bed on Sunday morning once in a while. His wife would have to scoot him out once in a while to get him to come to church. But you see what I'm saying is, is it's easy to shout. It's easy to say we ought to, or it ought to be this way, or it ought to be that way. But when God lays it on your heart, it's your responsibility to pray and say, God, help me. I'll, I'll lead in that. And I'll tell you what, if you'll step out, God will put people in to follow behind you. I found this to be truth all through my ministry. Today, this Palm Sunday, Jesus wants to do a new thing. He wants a ministry in this area, in this church. And there's not a one of you here that God doesn't have something He wants you to do to help build the kingdom. You just have to be willing to say, Lord, I may not have much, but what I have is Yours. God will take that little bit and He'll make something great of it. Are you willing to join the Salvation Army Parade today. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Maybe you need to come and pray. Say, God, I've had this burden. I've had this desire. Help me to know what I need to be doing. And God will give it to you. Let's stand. Father, this morning, you know the hearts and the lives of those that are set here. You know what's needed within the body of Christ. Oh God, we, have a, we, we know that You've given a great group of people right here at Bar's Mills. We know, God, that you have, you have led them to this point. And God, we pray that as this new leadership comes, Lord, He'll need that backing. He'll need those prayer warriors. He'll need those that will go visiting. He'll need those that will encourage and be step forward to help in the ministry to make the church go forward in a greater way than it's ever gone. Father, we pray today for every person that sits here. I ask, Lord, that You would open their hearts and their minds. And Lord, let them today say, Lord, whatever it is that You want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Father, speak to hearts and lives as we sing and as we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Will You come as You have a need?